0: Alright, here we are, back again outside the studio. I am your host, Tessa Tovar. Um, I'm here with my favorite guest. <laughs> I feel like listeners, you should probably know who this is by now. Kathleen Trotter is back, round three. We were joking just a few minutes ago about here we are, round 719. <laughs> Well, partly, it's just because before we start recording, listeners should know that we just
1: sort of sit here and talk. And then all of a sudden, we're like, why are we recording this? We've already done a half a podcast. So, you know, we are genuinely enjoying each other's company. This is not a like, let's pretend. Because sometimes these things are a let's pretend. Like, you know, it's work. And you, you know, yeah. I've talked to many people where I'm like, well, in my head, I'm like, oh, I don't know if you, I really get you or that you get me. But like, you know, it's nice when you're like, oh yeah, we get each other. Like, and this is real. And I think we just
0: talked for like 24 minutes before we were like, I think we should record. Oh, is it? Is it really? Uh, you're Something right. Like that. <laughs> yeah so I mean and this is why like now we just need to have our own spinoff podcast exactly. that is exactly just yeah. dedicated to the topic of health and wellness and fitness and all of these totally things. I don't know do you watch Ted Lasso oh my god yes I okay love so Ted what
1: Lasso. about if we call our podcast you might have to bleep me out okay but in the second season Rebecca and her goddaughter um to call each other badass bitches
0: become <laughs> like badass bitches talking about health and wellness oh my god inspired by ted lasso (laughs) i'm writing this down because it might end up being the title of of this particular podcast i love ted lasso and i actually think that ted lasso really connects
1: very well into what we're talking about today which is having emotional intelligence about um Yourself and your relationship with your body. And uh, you know, we're talking today about self-sabotage, but we're also talking about eating disordered, eating disorders and disordered eating and intuitive eating. And they the, those two topics seem like they might be disparate, but they're actually really connected because they are about understanding yourself well enough to know one that you are self-sabotaging. And or two that you are, you know, living with disordered eating and I think part of what happens is people are able to pretend like even to themselves that they don't have disordered eating, they don't know they're so unconnected to their body and themselves that they don't even know that they're over or eating foods that don't serve them. And they definitely don't realize that they're falling into all of these traps of self sabotage. So I don't know. I'm, I'm very excited about this topic. And I feel like we ended last podcast where you said that you also had a story. So do you want to start with the, a brief um, history of use? And then I'll do my brief history of self-sabotage and eating disorder. And yeah. then go from there. Or what are you I thinking? I don't that. know. Because I'm really curious about your story.
0: <laughs> oh, well, thank you for asking. Yeah, um, I was actually just thinking about that today about my personal journey because I was doing a, a workout this afternoon. I took um, like the noon hour to do um, some weight training, which I Yay. love weight training. Feeling and I, strong. Yeah. So that's what I was thinking like, in relationship to my journey with fitness, health, um, exercise, eating better. I think the turning point for me, this is where I was going with this is when I started to lift weights, I started to get a whole different level of self-confidence and body awareness than prior to that prior to things like, um, like an aerobics class or just going Mm -hmm. for a run or being involved in a team sport, Mm -hmm. which I was in high school. There was a different, there was a, there was a shift in Mm -hmm. my self confidence when I started weight training. So let me back that up a little bit. I I was always a bigger girl. When, when I was ever since I can remember, I was very tall, had long arms and I felt very awkward in my body because I was just bigger than everyone else. And this is why we're friends because <laughs> podcast friends, because that what you just said, I'm like, that's my story too. Okay. Keep going. Yes. Yeah. So, and, and then, you know, as kids are, we're super sensitive to the labels other people place on us. So my sister would call me thunder thighs. Oh, yep. I got that one too. Yeah, right. So and then, you know, I I was also a cheerleader in high school for a little while. And I was surrounded by these like stick figures. And I just Mm -hmm. wasn't a stick figure. I do remember other people referring to my body as thick Mm -hmm. or um, dense. And those Mm -hmm. words to me were not desirable in high school, Mm -hmm. right? So I quickly developed a (laughs) very interesting relationship with my body, which manifested more in emotional overeating because that was a way that I could numb my feelings. And Mm. it was an immediate, it was an immediate burst of feeling better.
1: Yeah. Like whatever feeling hugged. It's like almost like you're feeling hugged by your food. Yeah. No, I've been there. I think we all have for sure.
0: Yeah. And so And, you know, I could go back into childhood, which was, I'll just give you a quick little anecdote. So when, when I was about five, um, my parents were separated for a period of about six months and I watched my mom go through this and stop eating completely. Like she was Mm -hmm. a rail and my mom's always been really skinny, but she was very, very skinny at this point in time. She just wasn't eating. So as a five-year-old, I just kind of emulated her behavior. I Mm can pick up on the emotional intensity around the house. And I also stopped eating. And I remember one of my earliest memories is sitting in a counselor's office talking about food. And I remember this counselor asking me, um, what it was about food. And I said, it was scary. I said, I thought Mm. if I eat it, it's going to get stuck in my throat and I'm going to choke and die. Wow. So I started to develop this habit of putting food in my mouth, like a little squirrel, And then like, say this is dinner time. I would go to the bathroom and spit it out in the toilet or in a garbage can. um, So that I would like clear my plate without having to eat anything. And so the deal that my parents made with me to get me to start eating was that I, (laughs) this is so classic. I'd have to sit at the table. I couldn't go to the bathroom. I couldn't make the excuse of going to the bathroom. But I have to sit at the table until all my food was gone. So from a young age, I learned to stop listening to my satiety cues. This is where Evelyn Tribbley's work. Yeah, yeah. The intuitive intuitive
1: eating is so wonderful. I agree. For this particular, for this, yeah, for lots of things, but this in particular. So I think this happens to a lot of us is we just get so disconnected to our body of when are we hungry? When are we full versus when are we sad or when are we happy or when... and, you know, it's one thing to decide to eat a beautiful piece of chocolate cake because you want it. It's a very another thing to eat it because you're so sad. And instead of phoning a friend and having a conversation that will actually deal with your pain, then you, then you, without even thinking, unconsciously, you, you you grab for that food. I think your story is so, I don't know, when I'm listening to you, all I can feel is like this desire to sort of have compassion and like hug younger you. Yeah. Um, and I think what I would love people listening to, to feel and also to hear is that food and our relationship to food and our bodies are so complex that that's why when you get those magazines they're like you know a month to a whole new you follow these five foods or you know do this simple program or this generic this it's why they don't work long term I mean they might work for that month but unless you can get at some of those deeper thoughts and emotions with connection to food and how you think of your body um that it's not going to work because you're always going to go back to those unconscious beliefs and thoughts and patterns and habits um and until you can actually look at your experience with some compassion because I think that's the other part of it is that when you're in it um you you are either unaware of the emotional component or what you are aware of is that you're being quote unquote bad and then you shame yourself, right? And the thing about shame is it's not a helpful emotion. It's so damaging and it just inspires more spiraling and more shameful behavior, right? If you are like, oh my God, like, I'm so quote unquote, disgusting, you feel disgusting. And if you think you're a disgusting lazy human, well, what do disgusting lazy humans do? They eat more, right? Like, so when, and that's not the same as sort of like disconnecting from the experience and saying, okay, I'm not proud of this choice. Right. And that's, I think, a really key thing to frame our discussion right now is the difference between shame and guilt, because shame is you being connected as an identity to the behavior um, versus guilt is just the behavior. So if you had a child who came home and had bad math tests, I give this example all the time, because it's so easy to see that if they did poorly at math, you wouldn't say you're a lazy person. You're destiny bad at math. You, like they what you'd say to the child is, are you being bullied? Um, you know, are you getting enough sleep? How can I support you? Do you need a tutor? Right? Like you don't say, well, doesn't, matter that you get the bad math test because it does matter. That's the behavior needs to be looked at, but you don't shame the kid. And I think, What happens with us, it not you and me, but like the world when with connected to food and exercises, you know, you skip a workout or you eat food that you're not proud of, or you eat food that you're ashamed of in, you know, by yourself alone from the world, you're shoving in that food. You, you know, I was talking to a client last night about how he would never eat in front of his kids the way that he would eat when he's alone and his family's out of the house, Mm -hmm. right? Because in front of his kids he's like vegetables and portions, but then they leave and he's he he stuffs himself, right? So it's like this idea, but then you feel so much shame. And so we're trying to really unpack, okay, what's behind those actions? What's from childhood? What's your emotion? What's your feelings of self-worth, all that stuff. So it's not that you you say like, oh, well, it doesn't matter that I'm doing all these things, but you really try to talk to yourself with kindness, with, you know, with productive self-talk and you say, okay, well, let's look back. Like, where did this come from? Like that story of you being forced to sit at the table, like I'm sure your parents meant so well, but you know, it was so counterproductive to your relationship with food. And then the story of you feeling, you know, too big and having to make yourself small. And so it's just, it's so complicated. And honestly, I really think that if people get one thing from our conversation is that this is not simple, and we really get in our own way Um, when we think that it quote should be simple and when it's not simple we're doing something wrong and then that's just another reason to shame ourselves to quit to fall off the wagon however you want to put it whereas if you can realize that this is like a lifelong privilege of learning about who you are and your history and how you are how you relate to food and how you relate to your body and then the most important thing the only important thing is this you just wake up and you try again and you learn and you keep going it's not going to be figured out in a month right like you might create a new habit in a month which is great you might you know get going on a new routine which is wonderful but it's not a light switch that sort of like you flip it on and then you you never have to look at it again Mm
0: -hmm. um
1: i don't know does any of does that stuff land with you
0: absolutely yeah it's it's always what i'm reminding people of that i work with and i actually just had a i had a an ayurvedic a kind of nutrition focused workshop that I led last weekend, oh, cool. which was the first one I've done in over two years. So mm. that in and of itself was a little bit scary. <laughs> I'm not sure. Why but I'm we were talking that. before. Well, no, but we talked before
1: that again, before the podcast started about how doing new things is scary. And one yeah. of the greatest parts about doing things that you're afraid of is then you remind yourself that like anything new or new ish, if you haven't done it for two years, kind of should be scary. And that's yeah. okay. Again, it you know, Susan, you David has this phrase. Yeah. It means you care. Mm-hmm. She has, I love um, her book, emotional Agili- agility. I think is what it's called. She says two things. She says, your emotions are your signposts for your values. So if you are scared of something, right, you care about it, and um, courage is fear walking. And I think that that's a huge thing. Like you feel scared about something, you're like, okay, great, I care about this, and I'm just going to be courageous, which is, doesn't mean I'm not afraid, but it means I keep going.
0: What was the um, anyway? Interrupted you.
1: Oh, uh, her name is Susan David, and mm-hmm. it's emotional. Um, I think it's emotional intel. Um, emotional intelligence emotional uh, emotional agility is what it is she also has a podcast as well called checking in with susan david um she's great she just did a, a episode um the happiness lab podcast as well with lori santos she's what i really really like uh susan david she's really smart and she just talks about emotions being data which i just love like so you feel it and then you're like oh i feel really sad and instead of using the sadness to just sort of unconsciously sweep into that emotional eating and um, then you're like, Oh, I feel really sad. Okay. Why, what is this telling me? How can I learn from this? And then you can take a more productive act because you're understanding where the emotion is coming from and what it's trying to tell you. And it could just be telling you that, you know, I'm sad because I'm exhausted and I need to go to bed. Right. When when you're exhausted, you feel, feel things more, you know, sharply. Um, anyway, I interrupted you. So you were saying you did a workshop.
0: Yeah. Well, what was interesting and in how it relates back to the the thing that we're talking about is um, there was a lot of resonance with this conversation around disordered eating. I mm-hmm. think, in particular, on the subject, because we, before we hit record again, we we said so much. We were talking about disordered being uh, disordered eating being this kind of overarching umbrella term mm-hmm. that encompasses things like um, intuitive eating. It encompasses kind of eating yeah. de- many different eating disorders. Right, so
1: intuitive. I don't
0: think intuitive eating would be a disordered
1: a Disorder eating. Disordered eating is normally like not healthy ways of eating. So it'd be like anorexia, bulimia,
0: right? Orthorexia. So, like that So intuitive antidote. eating would
1: be like exactly. Intuitive eating would be how you would help yourself out of um, of the disorder. So the disorder is like the negative making choices that don't serve you. Like they might serve sure. in the moment your fears. Right. If you've been overweight, uh, like so. I was like you sort of bigger overweight, made fun of. So I think for a lot of my life, I had this fear that if I ever gained weight again, that um, no one would like me because when I was heavier before, nobody liked me, Mm -hmm. Um, or at least my perception was that nobody liked me. I'm sure that wasn't actually true. I had lots of, I'm sure I had people who didn't care about my weight at all, but I felt that the reason why I was awkward was because I was overweight. So I think for the longest time, I felt that even if I'd gained like a half a pound, I was going to I was letting go of my newfound sort of place in the world. Mm -hmm. Because I did, you know, through getting fit and through this job and, and, you know, becoming a fitness professional, I sort of found my legs, I found some confidence. And I think that there was something... Through my 20s, where I really felt that any slip backwards, even a perceived yeah. slip, like one that wasn't actually real, even just like an extra piece of cheese or something, was a sign that I was going to slip back and then I was going to not have any friends and no one was going to like me. And it was so fearful to me. So, in the moment, the choice that served me was to stay unbelievably rigid in my healthy choices, to be like ruined by my healthy choices, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so, that in the moment, it sort of served my fear. Um, but it didn't serve my lifelong mission to be healthy. It was sort of actually at odds with that, right? Because I lost my period and like, there's so many things that um, how it wasn't serving me, but it kept me alive, which is interesting. And again, I think goes back to having compassion for yourself, because once you can realize like, I think that it's then easy to then get mad at yourself for the coping mechanisms, right? Like my disordered eating really was a coping mechanism for my fear. Like I was petrified of going back to my quote, old Kathleen. So then I really, really um, restricted any of my choices and was extremely rigid. Um, And it would be easy to be mad at myself for being so unhealthy and my rigidity. But instead what I've learned to say is, okay, but that makes sense, Kathleen. You were protecting yourself. You were trying to stay happy and alive and healthy. And now that you know that you have the propensity to do that as a self-protective mechanism, you're gonna have to have your alerts on when you try to do that again and be like, okay, this is your fear talking, this is not real. How can we actually make a choice that really serves you versus serving your fear? Which I think that's the, that's the hard part. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I interrupted you yet again, finish your story about your... your- <laughs> oh.
0: Um, It's going to be a 17-hour conversation. (laughs) Well, that's why we're just, you know, starting our own podcast. (laughs) Badass bitches on the subject. Yeah, exactly. Health and wellness. Um, Yeah. So I just, I found it interesting, you you know, I think it was an interesting perspective in a couple Mm -hmm. of different ways, because this also relates to your story about feeling like, okay, I've made, I've made the shift and change. I have this Mm -hmm. new body, this newfound confidence, which I went through that period too. I remember one friend. Saying to me, "Oh, Tessa got skinny and she became a bitch," <laughs> which I'm sure is wow. true for a period yeah. of time because there was such rigidity and such control and feeling like, "Okay, I've got this thing; I've got to hang on to it." Yeah, got to hang on might.
1: to it. That's so big. Yes,
0: right. Yeah. And so now I'm like as I was thinking about today, you know, my body composition is different. I probably Mm -hmm. have the same body I have in in high school, but I'm embracing it and loving it. And I love my strength. Whereas before, my quote unquote, thunder thighs were probably just muscular. And, you know, I just, I was a strong girl and I always have been, and that wasn't accepted and celebrated when we were in, in the eighties, you know, people still wanted to be really skinny. Um, so I, back to the workshop weekend, I felt like just this, this overwhelming, support and um, resonance with with these folks just being willing to share their experiences and (laughs) what they were going through and also this very subject that we keep reiterating of that this is an iterative process that you're not arriving to this place where you can just then sigh okay everything's perfect it's it's a daily you know it's a daily practice one day get up and you know I do my best and my best today might look a lot different than what my best was
1: yesterday that's so relative to everything else that's going on yeah for sure exactly
0: so that's where that's all I wanted to say about that oh I love that yeah I love that
1: and I (laughs) love hearing you say that you feel strong I mean I just also want to throw out there for people listening though like I wish I could be as definitive as you and and I don't know how much you actually feel definitive on the inside but mm-hmm. you know I think that if therapy's taught me anything about anything is that multiple truths can be true at the same time and I would say that there's a huge part of me that loves being strong um and then there's a huge part of me that's afraid of being strong there's a huge part of me that loves my growing new acceptance of you know Loving myself, no matter what, Um, and then there's a huge part of me that's still unbelievably afraid of what does that mean? That if I love myself too much, does that mean that I'm just going to you know eat 17 tubs of ice cream and never get out of bed again? And and then there's the other part of me that's like, no, Kathleen, you know that that's not actually love of yourself. So you're not going to do that, you know. And so I I don't know. I think that the, the truth is that it's 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 a daily practice, but it's a daily also. I don't know if you know about um, IFS therapy. So it's interfamily systems therapy, and it's not family as in like your family like mother, father, kid, it's the fact that we all have a system within ourselves. So they, they often mm-hmm. describe human beings instead of being an onion that were like garlic cloves with like multiple parts. Uh, so it's not that you're kind of getting to a, co- like you're peeling, it's not that therapy is about peeling away the onion to getting at like this root core. It's about experiencing all these different parts of you that have connected to make a garlic clove. Mm-hmm. And so I often think, and that actually speaks very strongly to me because I think of myself as like, you know, there's one part of me that's like, yes, I can run 10K and I'm strong. And then there's another part of me that's like, oh, but you need to run 12K or you're going to get a little bit chubby. And then there's another me Mm that goes, Kathleen, shut up. That is not helpful. And there's another part of me that kind of goes like, you wouldn't ever say that to a client. You have to, you know, like talk to yourself like you love yourself. So I think it's it's, and I've done enough meditation to also know that I don't think that the realistic expectation is ever that everything will be quiet. I think it's more that, And this maybe will lead into a little bit of our discussion of sort of how we self-sabotage. But for me, what's been the most helpful is to realize that all these garlic clove pieces can talk and that I can be enough sort of like in self or in my sort of grounded place that I'm able to say that's negative brain propaganda, that that garlic clove talking right now is not helpful to me. Like I can think like, oh, Kathleen, what if you get fat? And I can say, you know what? Thanks for speaking up, but that's my 12-year-old Kathleen. You're not like, thank you. I love you. I will always be grateful for your service, but I don't have to listen to you right now. And it doesn't, that fear doesn't have to dictate my actions um, versus thinking that 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 self will ever truly 100% go away. And maybe for some people it will. Um, And I'm hoping that it gets softer and softer and softer until it's just like a little whimper. Um, But I know in myself, I'm not sure if it'll ever truly go away. And I think I've come to a place in my therapeutic process where I'm like, okay, I don't need it to 100% go away as long as I can be strong enough to recognize that that's not the self that serves me. That's not like I'm almost 39. That's not my 39-year-old self that I want to, you know, embrace. Mm -hmm. So um, and I think that that's the key with anything. It's like we're all going to have these thoughts, right? And there's this that, um, like the Buddhist idea of like thoughts are not facts, yeah. uh, thoughts are not acts, yeah. right? And thoughts are not truth either. They're not. They're they're just thoughts, and that you can feel. It's part of what meditation teaches you to, to have feel these different thoughts come up, and then you can say, okay. Great. Thank you so much. I'm not going to listen to you. Oh, great. Like, yeah, you want to skip a workout? Guess what? I'm not going to listen. You'll be healthy if you work out. Oh, interesting. You want to eat that entire tub of ice cream? That'll make you feel disgusting. Why don't you have a small little bowl? Oh, you don't want to go for a walk? Guess what? You'll feel better if you go for a walk. Or for me, you know, if I'm having like a disagreement with, you know, my partner, James, for example, and one of my things that I really am a big isolator from, you know, my dad left young and like i just feel like i've dealt with a lot of when i'm fearful i just sort of separate Mm -hmm. and one of the things i've learned for me is like when i have a huge desire to separate from james that's the time that no matter how mad the best thing for me to go over is and give him a hug and that doesn't mean we stop debating and that doesn't mean i'm telling him he's right but it's just that i know that the feeling of wanting to run out of the room and never come back again that's my five-year-old kathleen And that's a protective mechanism. And James would never hurt me. And he loves me more than anything. And, you know, so it's like, that's, but that's, again, it's like, you just have to be able to have these things pop up. And then you have to be able to know, okay, like, I'm not, I'm trusting you. And I'm not trusting you. And thank you very much. But you can go home now and have a little nap or go for a coffee or or something like that.
0: Yeah, and I haven't heard of it in in those terms, but I have done a lot of work with the different. I call them different characters in my head. Yes, yeah. From the, from the lens that this is a body of work called emotional hygiene, where mm-hmm. we Interesting. we label our voices as okay the judge or the caretaker or the mother or the father, and you know you could actually name these people mm-hmm. these characters inside of your head, and the goal is to just like you're saying. Acknowledge mm-hmm. when it's helpful, acknowledge, yeah. advice, number one, acknowledge mm-hmm. when it's helpful, acknowledge who is making the decision, who's taking the action here? Is mm. it the true self? Is it the mm. various character inside of your head yeah. that's taking the reins and it's no longer helpful. So it's, it's all about, yeah. The years of therapy. Number one. yes
1: Yeah. <laughs> that's also- very cool. I'm going to look, I'm going to look at that. That sounds emotional hygiene. It sounds very connected. That's awesome. I love when there's multiple people looking at the multiple, like the same thing from slightly different lenses. And then you can just, yeah. it's like, it's like there's sort of a truth within, you know, 10 different, Um, different systems all looking at similar ideas that's
0: great well I'm lucky to have a very best friend who is a certified emotional hygiene therapist and Uh this body of work that she has been studying and and working with to to heal her own childhood wounds she is now Mm -hmm. getting to put out there in the world so it's such good stuff and for me it's I've been in therapy since I was five. And I'll tell you when oh, good
1: for you. I good for you. To- that's courage right there. And that's dedication
0: to it, right? It's like I'm not leaving until I have right? figured out. But what, it was what I found really interesting about this body of work in particular, emotional hygiene, is that because I've been in therapy since I was five, I know how to put up my defenses. I know how to to to, Get a therapist off my scent and put up my wall and, like, be like, I'm fine. And I've had so many therapists tell me, like, I don't understand why you're here. And, yeah. <laughs> like, that's the point because you can't see past my wall because I have a good yeah. poker face. But this poker face. work yeah. mm-hmm. cuts through all of that. Like, interesting. My bullshit shield goes way down. And, it, the first thing I did in my first emotional hygiene session was just this river of tears, which if wow. anyone out there knows me really well, they know that I am not a crier. Like I know how to lock that down. <laughs> yeah,
1: I think we are. I think we <laughs> might be twins or something like that. We very are similar. I, um, I feel um, like we're moving into this sort of self-sabotage. So I, I wanted to just make clear, I feel we talked before we started, um, Film, recording just a little bit more about that sort of umbrella concept of disordered eating. So before we move on, I thought it probably might be useful to just pinpoint to people or make clear to people listening that there's more than just like anorexia and bulimia. Like those are the yeah, ones that are very popular, or uh, yeah. not popular to do, but like as in like in the popular, I guess, like people kind of know about them. Sure. Um, and we don't have to go to all of that in detail, but just so people are listening, because I think sometimes what happens is is you know you hear disordered eating and you're like, Oh, well, I'm not anorexic. I don't eat zero calories a day, or I'm not bulimic. I don't throw up. So I'm fine. Yeah. What sort of triggered me was that when you said I'm really good at pretending to be fine and, Um, I think that that's one of the things the way that I quote passed for so many years in my 20s like people didn't know I had issues because I was really good at quote passing and being fine um, both from like an emotional standpoint but also I had a combination of what they call orthorexia and uh, reds and they're just two ways that you can have disordered eating without sort of that very uh, without the sort of absolute zero calories or the bulimia so just I want people listening when they think oh like this is not for me I don't I'm, I'm you know I'm, I'm not I don't need to be institutionalized. I don't need to be force fed I'm fine you can have varying ways of disordered eating without yeah. the sort of very prominent um labels so reds is um uh, relative exercise deficiency in sport or relative energy deficiency in sport. So basically it happens with a lot of athletes, especially female athletes, but with both. And it's just this idea of you are eating and to the outside eye, you look like you're consuming enough calories, but for your body, you're not. So you're really stressing your hormonal system. You're stretching your bones, your muscles, like everything you can't recover properly. So, you know, the story I told you before we started recording was just this idea of I'd go out to dinner you know, with all my girlfriends and I'd eat basically the same amount of them as them. And so they wouldn't bat an eye, but I was doing Ironman training. So I was like training 20 to 30 hours a week, you know, that day I might've biked for eight hours. So I shouldn't be eating the same amount as a, you know, 110 pound girl. Plus I'm like six feet tall. So, um, and orthorexia is just this idea of like ortho as in bone that like can't break. Like if you break it, it shatters. So that's mm-hmm. the idea of people who have really strict, strict, strict rules. And you can't break the rule without feeling unbelievably emotionally shattered. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I would say if I struggled still with anything, it would be my orthorexic t- like tendencies. That would be the thing that's still like I've got back all of my... Um, physical absolute um, markers of health, right? Like I eat enough calories, I eat a diverse amount of calories, uh, like diverse food groups. um, And I'm not over exercising anymore. Um, But I still I find it very hard to be flexible. And I'm much better than I used to be. But you know, if if I have a plan, and then we deviate from the plan, it's it can really emotionally be very hard, my internal weather. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Again, I hope people listening can sort of be like, okay, interesting. This, none of this is simple. That's really what I want people to get from this is just like we are all struggling. It's, you know, and to have compassion and to seek help if you need it too, right? To, to not quote, quote, say I'm fine. To give yourself the help that you need and, and to do some research and to realize that it's not as sort of cut and dry um, as we often think of this.
0: Yeah, I really think orthorexia in particular is... It's such an ne- to use nefarious character again. I really think that's one that's under the line of awareness for so many of us. Yes,
1: I completely agree, and I think it's sometimes even under the awareness, under the line of awareness for ourselves. Like, exactly. so, sometimes yeah. I know that I'm doing it, but sometimes I don't until James says, "Like, mm, like, are you okay right now?" Mm-hmm. And it'll pop up really strongly in really interesting situations, like as in you know, I will have had a family interaction that I've not even quite clear has been emotionally unstable. And then I will have a day where, you know, I have to eat like this time and I have to eat this many vegetables. And again, it's not unhealthy. It's not like I'm starving myself or I'm going for a three hour run, but it's like, if I don't have, you know, a green vegetable and an orange vegetable and a white vegetable, then I'm, you know, and it's fine to be, frustrated with that maybe and it's fine to say I'd like to have more colored vegetables but it's not okay it's not a sign of good health if when you don't have an orange a white and a green vegetable that you feel like you're a bad person right (laughs) like so it's just it's all about sort of appropriate reactions and and being able to notice in yourself. Well, it's exactly what you said, like that the various characters. It's like not helpful um, in your long-term. In your because long-term it's goal. adding
0: extra stress, right? So I was having this experience yesterday because I, I definitely identify with orthorexia It's something that as I move towards balance in my mm-hmm. health and wellness j- journey, it's the one that's hardest to kick yeah. for me. Yeah, and it so really is
1: was- for me too, honestly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I was doing safe, right? It's safe. Rules are safe. Yeah. Well, and it makes things clear and there's nothing that I abhor more than the uncertainty of the unknown. So this was happening to me yesterday, just last night, I have been experimenting with intermittent fasting. So I had made this agreement with myself that I eat between these hours. And then I fast between these hours and I was getting really close to that cutoff time because of life, life yes. circumstances. And yep. then I'm starting to snap at my husband. I'm getting really cranky. And the stress is just hiking up over like, a couple so of minutes. There. <laughs> I have so
1: there. In our long-term health. I mean, if we're using intermittent fasting to sleep better and to, you know, better digestion and all these things to then like kill ourselves with our healthy habits and kill our family with their healthy habits because of two minutes or four minutes or, you know, to, you we just are not seeing the forest. We're only seeing the trees, exactly. but I have, I have been there. Yeah. And that I think ties perfectly into, we wanted to talk about self-sabotage and one of the methods yes. of self-sabotage. So I have sort of six of them I talked to with my clients and one of them would be perfectionism. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it can be on both ends of the spectrum. I think it can be when we, um, you know, like, like for you, that would be, in my personal opinion, that would be an example If you were aiming for perfect and perfect doesn't exist. And then you get super frustrated with yourself and your family. And if the point of health is to be sort of, a you know, quote unquote, better version for yourself and your family to be able to show up fully, and then that is not the, the version of yourself that you're hoping to become that kind of snappy. So, you know, this perfectionism leads to sort of a less happy, healthy, you know, balanced being. Mm-hmm. I think it can come in that way for sure. But I think it can also rear its ugly head in the idea of I've put it off until I can be perfect. So I think mm-hmm. um, a lot of people, uh, perfectionism is the self-sabotage in the way that it's like, Oh, well, this week I'm not going to be able to be perfect. So I'll just do health next week or, mm-hmm. um, you know, and life is never, ever, ever perfect. It's always messy. So if you put off health until it can be quote perfect, it'll just never happen, right? If you try to find the best day or the perfect workout or any of that stuff, the perfect diet, um, then it's like, well, you might as well just, you know, never get out of bed because it just doesn't exist. So instead it has to be like, okay, what's the workout that you can do consistently? Or as Dan Harris, the host of uh, 10% Happier would say, like, what's what you can do daily-ish? You know, like, I love it I love that podcast, 10% Happier. And, you know, he's just, you know, consistency and, and making things sort of convenient. And so, yeah, I think perfectionism just in general, it can it's so uh, cruel. It's just such an ugly, ugly, ugly uh, roommate in our head. And it can do damage in multiple, multiple ways. And um, I think for people like you and me, especially when we're on the other side of the pen, like when you've gone through very serious disordered eating and you come at the other end, then the perfectionism can do what it did to you yesterday, which believe you me, it's done to me many times. Uh, but then for people at the beginning of their exercise um, life, I think it can do, it's just a, it ends up being a form of procrastination.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. And I love the the perspectives of both sides, right? They have their pros and cons. They also have like the two coins of of the head.
1: Oh so that's, my God. That's it's number yeah.
0: one, perfectionism. Yes. And there's six.
1: Okay. I'll go right? into the next one.
0: Yeah. But I like your
1: point about this the two sides. Like my therapist always says, diff- everything is differently good and differently bad. And I think mm-hmm. that's really important for people to understand as well. Like bec- you're never going to get perfect, in part because whatever choice you make, there is going to be things about that choice that are positive and things about that choice that are so sort of negative, And that you have to figure out what is worth it and what's. Not and what's in your control and what's not. And sometimes what's positive for you in your 20s is a negative for you in your 30s, you know, um, or vice versa or whatever so I think that that's huge too is again not going for perfect going for the sort of positives that are important to you that are your priorities and the negatives that you can live with you know I once I heard I forget which relationship therapist was but they basically said stop looking for the person who has all the, the qualities you're looking for and just start looking for the person whose negative qualities you can put up with uh, I, I you're that. never going to find a partner who doesn't have negative qualities. So at least the negative qualities should be like stupid stuff, like oh, they eat a little bit too loudly or something like that.
0: So it reminds me of like a Seinfeld episode where, you know, Jerry's like, well, her hands were too big or yeah. yeah. And you're like, really, that's your negative. If that's your negative. We're doing pretty, pretty well. Right.
1: Um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So number two is the snowball effect. And that's uh, very connected to perfectionism in the idea of your being you know, if I can't be perfect, I might as well do nothing at all. So the snowball effect is like, oh, I missed one workout. So I might as well miss another and another and another, or instead of saying, okay, well, what's missed must be replaced. So I wasn't able to do my workout this morning, but can I walk a little bit at work? Can I do some squats when I'm waiting for my coffee? Um, Can I go, you know, when I take my kids to soccer, can I do some lunges and, um, you know, planks on the sidelines? Like, how can I make this up? And then how can I get right back on the bandwagon, you know, tomorrow, um, tomorrow or the equivalent or like the idea of like, oh, I wasn't supposed to eat any sugar and I had a cookie. So well, I've already had one cookie, so I might as well have five more cookies and a bowl of ice cream and some chocolate. And so that snowball effect is so powerful and I don't quite understand it, to be honest, because. Like, it's not like if one, like if you were sick and you missed a day of work, you wouldn't be like, oh, well, I'm sick. I might as well just quit my job. Right. So it doesn't, or like, I always say to my clients, like if you had like a a thing of mustard and you have put a little bit of mustard on your shirt, you wouldn't be like, oh, there's a little bit of mustard. I might as well take this bottle and pour it over my head. Right. You'd be like, oh, I have a little bit of mustard. I should clean it off. So I don't I don't really understand why we do it with health, but it's so prevalent, and I I have definitely found myself doing it as well. So it's I don't know I don't understand, but is again I think like what we talked about earlier about being mindful. Like if at least you can hear yourself doing it, I think that that's that's good, and then you can sort of step back and be like, okay, so again, is this a choice that's worth it? Because maybe you do want three you know cups of ice cream. That's great. Like if that's the choice you decide to make, and you're like. You know you're happy with it, and it's going to make you feel good. Like you know, life is short, and only you know what's going to make you happy and what's not, and what what are things that you need versus things that you just want. And but that mindlessness, sort of, well, well, I did this, so I might as well do this. So I might as well do this. Um, I don't know. Anyway, I find that very interesting, and that's the one I think that I see maybe the most with health. It's like, well, if I can't be on this unbelievably strict diet that nobody could be on, well, if I can't do that, then I might as well do absolutely nothing. <laughs> it's like the flip-flop from like eating every single piece of sugar in the world, the boom to the bust, you know, to yeah. the like, you know, so, um, and I think partly it's that we set ourselves up for this failure by expecting these Huge unrealistic things of, you know, I'll exercise for two hours a day and I won't eat one bite of sugar. And I'll go from, you know, drinking, you know, five things of alcohol and, and four servings of sugar a day to zero forever and always. And I don't know. So, yeah. I don't know. Do you snowball?
0: I used to. Um, it, I think I kind of experienced it and I believe it was Evelyn Tripoli that coined this term as like a last meal effect. So mm, yes. if I was having this conversation with myself, like I'm going to start again tomorrow, the, the snowball or the downward spiral for me would be, well, okay, I better have my one last cookie yeah. now. I better enjoy it now. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah, that would take me down a dark road, dark place, the bottom of the cookie jar. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's interesting. so true yeah. yeah it
1: is it's really interesting, and it's interesting why we do that and why we think it'll be helpful and what hug it sort of gives mm-hmm. us, and why we would ever sort of also set ourselves up like you know, I start the diet tomorrow, and then it feels if it feels like you're gonna kill yourself with this diet, like the last meal effect makes it sounds like you're you know you're gonna be killed because you know you're having the death penalty or something so it's like well <laughs> right why should the food yeah. your food plan that you're going on be something that you feel like is gonna you know suffocate you like it, that just sounds absolutely the opposite of anything to do with health well, so i don't know anyway yeah. um the next one would be the i deserve mentality which i just think it's all interesting of if you can just I don't know, some a lot of the self sabotage, I think, is brought out of a, a lack of feeling of agency in life. Like I think part of this is we often think that that our exercise and our diet, it's almost like our mother or father is saying, like you should do this or our doctor you should do this. and then we. Um are responding and being like, screw you, I'm not gonna do this. I deserve this, or I have the like I can do this, I'm a grown-up, or like you can't tell me what to do. It's like we're having that fight within ourselves. And I and sometimes it's that I deserve people. That's what I hear from people. It's like, well, you know, I did a workout, so I deserve to eat whatever I want, or I've had a really hard week, so I deserve, or um, you know, I've eaten really well for the last five days, so I deserve. And again, I'm not opposed to people deciding to have a day where they don't exercise or even a couple days where they don't exercise or, or having a meal that they love. That's, you know, not the healthiest for their body, but really healthy for their psychology because they're with friends and they're enjoying. And it. so it's not that I'm saying to people, don't it's not the choice so much that I'm bothered by, right? When the "I deserve" mentality—if—if if you want to have a beautiful, like an ice cream or a beautiful piece of pie or whatever, like go for it. But I just—I—I I worry with the framing of it when it's that—and it's like "I deserve" versus just "I chose" or "I decided" or "My priority today was X." And I really try to work with my clients with this idea of it's all about choices, and it's about stepping back and intentionally and mindfully deciding what is going to serve you um, and realizing that you have agency over the choices that you make and it's not your doctor or your mother or your father saying you have to do this and then therefore when you have to do something and you're an adult you sort of rebel and you have that adolescent sort of like screw you you can't tell me what to do i can do anything i want so um yeah i, I think it's a lot of just the stepping back and finding the agency Um, And this connects into self-sabotage number four, which I call the crying wolf. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's like, I'm sure you've been there, you've heard people say like, oh, well, you know, I had to get the snack because I was really hungry or I had to miss the workout because of this or um, the the, the head to kind of things, which are partial truths. There were impediments that came up, or you know, you were at the gas station and you were starving. So, you know, you grabbed something because you were kind of hangry. So it's not that the situations didn't exist, but the head to ness was actually not truly there. It was more like kind of wanted a chocolate bar and I didn't, I didn't pack my hard boiled eggs. And in, instead of going, you know, another block to a Starbucks where I could get like an egg bite or hard boiled egg, you know, I stopped here and I did. And again, it's not that once in a while real had to situations that are going to come up, like, you know, unfortunately there is going to be a time where I don't know, your mother or your daughter or your son or your husband is really sick and you have to like rush out and take care of them. Or there is going to be a time that maybe you fall and something happens. And because of that, it's, you know, there's a domino effect of your day where you do, you know, choices are sort of taken away from you. But those choices being taken away from you are very few and far between. And the problem is, is if you make too many sort of cry wolf. Like, well, I had to. Then, when the real had to situation comes up, you don't actually trust yourself. So, mm-hmm. I used this happened a lot when I was uh, younger, when I would be like, well, I can't work out because I'm sick. Um, and I put sick in quotes because I just sort of didn't feel great. I wasn't actually sick. Mm-hmm. And then, when I truly was sick, I was like, am I really sick? And I then often actually ended up making myself work out when I was really sick, when I should actually be resting because I just didn't trust myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the nice parts about getting older is that I'm much better at like, if I'm just having a crappy day, I just say, you'll feel better if you move, just go and do a workout. Mm-hmm. And then when I'm really sick, I'm like, okay, this is a situation where I should just chill and have a bath and go to bed. Mm-hmm. Um, but the crying wolf, it just makes you not trust yourself because somewhere inside of you, you knew that you didn't have to grab the charcoal bar. you knew that you didn't have to miss the workout, you knew that Um, you knew that you could have made the choice that would serve you or a version of the choice like maybe you couldn't get to the gym you could still go for a walk at work or and um, so I I, again I don't know. It sort of just ties into uh, this idea of just being radically honest with yourself and listening to your voices and you know a voice comes up and says you know like well, you deserve to skip this. And you had to skip the workout and all this. And you're like, nope, that's negative brain propaganda. I don't need to listen to it. It's not true. And then when you really are sick and the voice comes and says, oh, Kathleen, you should take care of yourself. You need to have some hot water and go to bed. Then you're like, oh, that's truth. I do. I need to do that. I can trust myself in this situation. Um, I I don't know. Don't you feel like some of it is just like, I've just spent 20 years in therapy, just learning how to sort of trust myself more. (laughs)
0: Yes, absolutely. I still, I think it's a, it's a matter of distinguishing these voices inside of our head. And that's why I say like, for me, the first step is always, well, who is that talking? Is that my voice? I love that that. Is that somebody else's voice some message i learned as a child is it a younger me is it an un- yeah. un- unwise unhelpful me um and and then always coming back to okay well what's true right now what is helpful yeah, what's right true? now
1: yeah what's helpful what do i need yeah. yeah so we've done four so we've done the perfect we've done the snowball effect we've done crying wolf we've done i deserve and um, yes. so the next one is i'm too busy the too mm-hmm. busy effect and again I'm not arguing sometimes you are going to be extremely busy. So there's no part of me that's saying like that I'm I'm not seeing and hearing the truth of being an adult. It's hard. Pandemic life is hard. People are exhausted. People are burnt out. So that's the point of all this is not to say, like, stop being lazy by saying you're busy. That's not it. The point is to say, like, when we use these really catch all phrases, like, I'm too busy, it's, you don't actually get granular about what that means. It's sort of like when you say, well, I'm really stressed. Okay. Well, what does that mean? Like, are you sad? Are you not, is your work not fulfilling you? Are you not getting enough sleep? Are you, do you have Like, are you not delegating enough? Like, so part of it is I just want people to be honest with themselves and not just honest, but really specific. Like, so I'm too busy. What does that mean? Do you have 10 things on your plate that are not yours to be holding that you can delegate so you can have some time to exercise? Are you too busy because you haven't asked your partner to take at least, like I want to say 50, 50% of the household work, but like most of the time, even 60, 40 is better than what is currently going on. You know what I mean? Like, so- Have you not had a conversation with your kids and said, okay, you're getting older. One of you has to do the dishes and one of you has to do a little bit of food prep. And one of you has to set the table or like, or maybe like, are you working? Are you doing more than you need to at work? Or are you staying up too late uh, watching television? So then you're exhausted in the morning. So then you're sort of too busy to work out, but it's more that you're too tired. Like, so again, I just want people to be honest. I want people to be specific and I want people to sort of say, okay, well, Like, if I really, really, really am too busy to work out, then there's something wrong with my life, Mm -hmm. right? And again, I'm not saying you need to go to the gym for two hours. um, But like, if you cannot find 10 minutes to put on some music and dance around, or even sets of three minutes, then something about your scheduling has your priorities, something needs to be sort of juggled, there has to be some way to find the middle ground, some wiggle room, some way to fit some green vegetables into your life, some way to have some water. Uh, and it's not a light switch again, right? It's not like either you're unhealthy or you're healthy. This is like a matter of degrees. This is a dimmer switch. So I'm not saying you have to go from doing nothing. And then I say, Oh, you don't use the too busy. And then like, Oh, well, I should, you know, that means I'll work it for four hours. That's not what I'm saying. But, you know, can you find five minutes? Can you find a minute to do some deep breathing? Like, what is one way that you can add to the mixture of your life of health? Like what, what is one thing that you can influence? Right. Um, and what is something you can take away because we can't just endlessly add things. So, you know, if you're going to try to be more healthy, then maybe it's a matter of saying no to a bunch of stuff. So you can say yes to yourself. So the, I'm too busy is just really a, you know, a step back. And like, I have a client right now that I'm working with. who has a lot of, this is just an example, a lot of like digestive issues and, Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, he keeps saying like, he's very busy he, and he really truly is. But he just keeps saying like, I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have time. And it's like, okay, well, but you like, there's something out of whack then. like, if you don't have five minutes to figure out why you're always in intense pain, not five minutes to call your doctor, not five, like then there's something wrong with this picture. And I had that, one of my things that happened with my disordered eating was I developed a whole bunch of digestive issues Mm -hmm. and I will never forget the conversation I had with my therapist which was very similar when she was like you should be doing like what about this what about this I was too busy I can't do I can't have meal breaks I can't have lunch break at work I can't blah blah I can't I can't I can't I can't she said okay so how sick do you have to get and I was like what she's like how sick do you have to get to look at your priorities she's like Do you have to, like, is it that you have to get cancer? Like, is it that sick that you have to get? You know, she's like, you, there's something out of whack. If you cannot plan a 20 minute meal break in your day, Mm. Um, something's wrong. So you just tell me how long I have to wait. Is it 10 more years until you're like on your deathbed from being burnt out? She's like, is that when you're going to take this seriously? Um, And so, I don't know. Sometimes it's just stepping back and being like, you feel like you can't change things. But what is it going to take, you know? So for most people, I, I don't actually think they are too busy. I just think they haven't quite jigged their person like their, their priorities and, and they, they're using it as an excuse. But then there's the rare person where they actually kind of, quote unquote, are too busy. And for those people, I think it's a matter of what my therapist said, which is like step back and just ask yourself, like, how far along the unhealthy tr- train do you have to go before you take this seriously?
0: Mm, I love that. Mm. What a wise yeah. person you got to work with. Oh,
1: I know. I am so, I'm so, 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 so lucky. Yeah. It's hard to find a good therapist. It really, really is. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's like developing a relationship. It takes time yeah. and kissing a lot of frogs. <laughs> yeah. That's so, so true. I, so I, I think mean, we have one more. Yeah. One more. Yeah. One six. more. Oh my goodness.
1: Um, that's just the, the self-sabotage of trying to be somebody you're not trying to adopt a method of change that doesn't serve you. Uh, trying to stick a square peg into a round hole, right? And you can do that once in a while. Like I'm giving myself this Peloton challenge where I'm trying to try every single type of class and every instructor. So I tr- I've been trying some classes that I don't like, but you know it's fun and I get to cross it off my Excel spreadsheet. And you know I did a dance cardio class and like a family fitness class, and you know it's, it's not my jam, but it was fun once. But if I said to myself, "Well, the only exercise you're ever going to do for the rest of your life is a dance cardio Peloton family fitness class." then I'm like, no, like, it's just not, it's not going to work. Right. So I think there's, there's just that element of just, again, radical honesty and just sort of saying like being active is a non negotiable, but how I do it is up to me and things I do once in a while, or one thing, you know, every, you know, before the pandemic, I'd go to like Zumba classes with my mom and stuff. Cause that was fun. And, you know, but like, I don't love Zumba class. So again, if that was my every single day I had to exercise with Zumba, I just wouldn't do it. So, you know, know you and, and like, and find ways to be active and to eat that suit you right like if somebody says to you well you have to you know eat 17 servings of veg um, like animal protein a day and you are a vegetarian that's obviously not going to be the method of getting fit and healthy that's going to serve you right so um no one is here to tell you that you have to be anybody other than who you are you just want to be a version of you that serves you you know
0: these are so helpful in the context of how do we get to know ourselves and how do we know when we're on the right path or the path? I, I don't even like the word, right. I think the path. I not there is a right path, right? The path yeah. that is true to who we are, which ties into trying to be someone you're not yeah. sabotage yeah. number six. <laughs>
1: oh my God. So I'm kind of very curious. Is there one, use of that you in therapy. If I was going to say one, the, the most helpful thing your therapist has ever sort of said to you, Do you know what that would be? Or one of the most helpful things?
0: Oh my gosh, there's been so many. (sighs) Um, I don't think anything's coming to mind in terms of like a key phrase or something in particular that I could recite to you. But the ability to sit in front of someone who is objective, who has like Mm -hmm. um, zero agenda aside from In terms of like, there's no agenda for picking someone's side. Like, she's not.
1: Right, right. The agenda is your health and happiness and progress. Yeah.
0: Exactly. So, being in a space where it's safe for me to share everything, because Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that I struggle with, and this is something that I learned as a child from my parents' behavior, modeling my parents' behavior, that it's not okay to tell the whole truth because we need to protect people's feelings. So, this is something I really had to unlearn. Through therapy, and I'm still unlearning that lesson. And I do think there's a time and a place to be honest with people when it's helpful, when it's wise, when it's kind, yeah. when it serves. But I don't think it's helpful to keep things from people to protect their feelings all of the time. Yeah. Um. So that's one huge, huge lesson that I'm still unlearning from. It's a hard one. And hard one. the uh, the addiction for perfection in terms of self-sabotage on this oh list my God, yeah. is 100% me. Yeah, and so then I remember getting this book from my dad when I was, I think I was in college and the title was Addiction to Perfection. And when he gave this to me, I was like, uh, is he trying to tell That's me so something? interesting.
1: <laughs> so he was trying to help you not be perfect. I was worried he was going to give you a book on like how to be perfect, but he was trying to help no. you not be perfect
0: he saw, he saw the struggle I was going through and he could empathize with it. And I think he was worried about me going down this path of
1: that's a beautiful, I'm glad that he saw that in you. Yeah, yeah. That's lovely. I'm very happy that he saw, you, you know, I, I'll never, I, I don't remember which podcast it was. I know it was an interview with Kristen Neff who does work on self-compassion, but she was on like, um, like a parenting podcast and the host said something like, well, I just always try to teach my kids, like, just do your best. And that's the important thing. And just strive for your best. She's, and the host was said to Kristen Neff, like, I'm sure that's what, that's what, that's what I should be doing. Right. Like, that's what you would say. And you could just tell this beat of this pause of like, Kristen Neff was like, well, this is your podcast. Like, I don't want to be real. And she's like, well, you know, the problem with that is, is that, you know, we can't all be perfect at everything. And we not only can't we be perfect, but we actually can't do our best at everything, you know? And if you try to create a kid who will be their best at everything all the time. You're just going to create a kid that has to go to the hospital. So maybe it would be better to tell your kid, figure out the things that you care most about and do your best at those things. Mm. I remember hearing that podcast and it was an earth shattering moment for me because I, until that moment, i always just sort of said to myself, Kathleen, as long as you do your best, you fail, it doesn't matter. Just do your best. And I never realized what I was doing to myself when that idea of you just have to do your best at everything. And you said earlier, like best is different depending on the day and the context. And I think that's very important too. But I think it's also important to say there are elements where I don't need to do my best. Like, you know, I have a lovely sweater on right now, but my bottoms, you can't see my bottoms. I'm wearing these. It's kind of crappy sweatpants and big fluffy socks. and Like, so the best, mm-hmm. the butt doesn't really matter. Like, I don't need to care about that. I know that's a silly example, but it's just, there's a, oh, the matter of, there's so many things like, you yeah. know, my kitchen is pretty clean. I don't have any bugs or anything, but like, did I make it the best it could be? No, like, you're not going to see it. I have nobody coming over tonight. Like it doesn't, you know, so I, don't, I think part of letting go of perfection and, and just becoming happy with yourself is just sort of saying like, I care about these five things they're really important. These are sort of medium and the rest is like, nah, okay, whatever. Somebody else will take care of them.
0: Like it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> I, oh. can't
1: be, I can't be perfect. I can't be the best at everything all the
0: time. Yeah. And does it even matter in the end? Like yeah, exactly. things that don't matter. matter. I, we don't care what kind of pants you're wearing, as long as you're you totally don't. <laughs> no, I agree with
1: you. And I think it, that's why I'm, I said that example, because in some ways it's such a stupid example, because obviously you guys don't care, but I have to tell you that if I was doing this interview, even five years ago, I would be really upset with myself that I wasn't wearing professional pants. Like, and it's, yeah. it's not just because we're all on Zoom because of the pandemic. It's that I've changed my mind because of that. It's not that. It's because I now can just be okay with being the person who wears Sloppy pants, and again, I know it sounds so stupid because everybody listening is like, "Kathleen's crazy," but that's a big change in me that I, I can say yeah. some things oh, just don't matter.
0: Kathleen, I think that's a hundred percent true for so many people more than are willing to admit it. Like, okay, I can't. Well, maybe. Tell you, I hope
1: so because I hope everybody is well, just as human as me.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have so many friends who who I think they worry about things that don't matter, but to them, it's like, yeah, this. This really important decision that only they place so much importance on. So it's important to them, right? They're making a decision that's important to them. But I think it's this myth of perfection and fear of not living up to that that drives that it's kind of like a psych- psychosis because it comes to the point where it's not healthy and it's not serving you anymore you know yeah it's
1: not serving you I think it goes back to the kind of not serving and um okay well one last story about therapy and I feel like this might be a nice way to end it because we started with talking about Ted Lasso so one of my favorite scenes of Ted Lasso so the second season they're bringing in this sports psychologist to that. It's like a soccer team um, in the UK. Ted Lasso is a soccer coach, American soccer coach that goes over to, uh, to the UK. Um, anyway, and they're trying to bring in this therapist to work with the athletes. And Ted is in one way, very pro the therapist, but also very hesitant of the therapist. He's a little bit skeptical of therapy. Let's put it that way. And so he's in the office with the boss. Her name is Rebecca. She's the head of the of the sports even she's also on board for paying for this therapist but also is a little bit skeptical and they just have this amazing amazing conversation which is exactly what you just said about having that unbiased right and so ted sort of says like well you know why do you need a therapist and rebecca's like well yeah you could just have a friend that's why i have friends we just i just if i need to have something to talk about i just talk with my friends and we just chat and we have fun and then we we move on and the so Ted goes, so yeah, you're right friends. He's like, so do you have anything to talk about right now? She's like, Oh no, I'm fine. She's like, what about you? Do you have anything to talk about? He's like, oh no, I'm fine. Right. And the whole scene is to point to, of course we need therapists because yes, we have friends, but for the most part, we don't, we don't want to, and it doesn't serve our friendship to bear that really deep part of us and we're so good at pretending that we're fine you know and every once in a while we have a wonderful friend who will listen and and that's a special special thing I have you know my best friend Emily she will listen to anything and she's amazing but even with her you know it's not her job to listen to me you know maybe she'll listen for an hour or two or five but she's not going to listen you know like it's not you know it's a give and take it's reciprocal but with therapy you know they're there to help us so anyway I love that scene I and mean, I just too. think it's so perfect it's like yep we all need therapy because with most of the time with our friends
0: we're fine yeah <laughs> and no, it's nothing to talk right and it is a heavy burden you know when it's you start burden, to use yeah. your friendship as your therapist for yeah I know it doesn't work it just doesn't work I mean they can be your friend
1: and but it is you know friends need to be sort of reciprocal and it's just yeah, yeah, so
0: yeah Hi oh, anyway. Kathleen. Thank you so oh, much. It just... was so much fun.
1: Thank you for sharing your story with me. I really, oh, I have this. I will asking. have forever. Yeah, I'll yeah. have this forever. Little image of this little girl. I don't that that i that idea of us of you going to the bathroom and sort of spitting out your food. I think that's such. <laughs> Um, I think a lot of people listening will be able to really understand, you know, whether they spit out their actually or wanted to spit out their food or went and overexercised to sort of, you know, get get rid of the calories of that food or whatever. I think that there's so many of us have felt so uncomfortable in our own skin that we've done, you know, versions of that. And, you know, this is the one precious life. Why are we doing those things to ourselves? You know, like it just doesn't make sense. So,
0: yeah. I mean, I we, li- we live and we learn, right? These are the yeah. lessons that we need to learn. That's yeah, what I always I so. look back and, oh, yeah. that's something I learned. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Well, I hope everybody listening so sort of can give their childhood self the different parts of their garlic, some yeah. hugs. Big yeah. hugs for little yeah. ones.
0: Yeah, yeah keep, a, keep ones. a, what I do, this is how I hold my my little one close, my little five-year-old self. I keep a picture of myself on my altar, so
1: Oh, that's beautiful.
0: That cute little face. I just want to squeeze her. She had no idea how adorable she was.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's so true. I feel that way too. I look at photos sometimes of me when I'm younger and I was like, I was actually a pretty cool kid. How did I feel so awkward and stupid and out of place? It's like, I was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, hopefully now, hopefully we can take those lessons. And when we feel out of place and insecure in the present, say, Okay. Well, remember how you felt so terrible 20, 30 years ago? And do you remember how you look at photos and you're actually pretty cool? It's probably the same thing is happening right now. You know, you're actually more cool than you think you are.
0: It's perspective. It's all a matter of perspective. Yeah.
1: Anyway, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this
0: conversation. Me too. Thank you, Kathleen. everyone that concludes another amazing episode of outside the studio I hope you enjoyed yourself I hope you learned something new maybe remembered something old maybe felt inspired to apply something to your life my (laughs) you can hear my dog in the background she's doing a little happy dance um so Daisy enjoyed it Anyhow, I wanted to just pop in here to wrap us up to say a couple of things. Number one, I have such an amazing team that helps me put these podcasts together. Without them, I wouldn't you know, be able to bring these amazing conversations to you. So thank you to my producer, my director of creative services, my sound editor, my um, engineer, Consistency Media. Don't know what I would do without you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And the amazing creation and artistic musical genius, Drew Lovern. Thank you so much for putting together this music for specifically for outside the studio. So unique to the show. Only place you're ever gonna hear it is right here. Thanks, you guys. You make my world go round. Stay well, everyone. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review, share on the socials, especially if it's a show that you think, Hey, this could help somebody else. That's what this is all about, right? We're sharing information so that we're better, um, so that we're inspired, so that we're lifting each other up and we're learning how to be in this world, living on this planet to the best of our ability, sharing information and inspiring one another. And that's my hope. That's my hope for this show. Take care.